Um, let's go ahead and carry on with our series we started a few weeks ago called Healthy Habits, where we're looking uh, at some different areas of life where the Bible speaks into our lives about how we can develop some, some healthier habits. That's one, thing, one of the things I love about the Word of God is that it doesn't only draw us into life in Christ, which it absolutely does, but it also uh, explains to us that life in Christ is actually... Um, it's life. I mean, it's life with a capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E. I mean, it is life, right? And, and that life and that freedom that we experience in Christ bleeds into all areas of our life. And so we started off talking about how we could get better, uh, uh, healthier in, in terms of our uh, relational health. And uh, a lot of good feedback on that message in terms of some of you were reaching out to people where relationships had been broken down and building those bridges and Beautiful, awesome. We talked about building up our emotional health last week. Phil and uh, Chelsea were so amazing talking about how we can be uh, uh, better, you know, have better physical health and honor our God that way. Uh, so good. And so uh, this week we're going to dive into the area of financial health. Financial health. Now, this is what I know and what I've learned over the years is that when it comes to financial health, Making healthy financial, like wisdom type changes to your life is as hard, I think as hard or harder than making healthy physical changes to your life. Uh, we, most of us in this room, actually, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say some of us in this room, I'm going to give you guys the benefit of a doubt, but that's a pretty big doubt. All right, so, so most, uh, some of us in this room, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty jacked up financially. We've, we've gotten ourselves into some situations where we haven't made some wise financial choices. The statistics say that 70 to currently in this nation, 70 to 80% of the people in this nation are living paycheck to paycheck, which basically means that there is more month left than there is money, right? Uh, your money's running out before the end of the month. You're living paycheck to paycheck. 70 to 80%. You guys have convinced yourself that you're, you're the only ones that's broke, but all your friends are broke too. And, and so, so what, what I love about God's word in this particular area is it has a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to say about how God's people behave with money and the kind of wisdom that we should be demonstrating uh, to the world with money. Now, you guys have all heard that, uh, you know, verse, or people quote that verse that say, you know, money is the root of all evil, but that's actually not what the Bible says. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money, greed is the root of all evil. And, and what I've learned over the years, though, is, is this statement. Go ahead and put that up there. Is that what money does is money amplifies your heart. Money amplifies your heart. So, for instance, if you're a really generous person uh, when, you're, when you just have a little bit of money in your life, when you add more money to your life, uh, you're going to be an even more generous person. It just amplifies who you already are. If you're a big jerk with a little bit of money, you're going to be a giant jerk with a lot of money. Uh, that's the way that tends to go. If you're a little bit stingy with a little bit, you're going to be a lot stingy. And, and, and our mind thinks differently. We think that if you add a ton of money to me, oh, I would be so generous. But I'm telling you, if you're not generous now, chances are it's just going to amplify your heart. You're not going to be generous later. We all have that fantasy every time, you know, we start playing the lotto when it gets over a half a billion dollars and, and we're all, you know, we, we buy a ticket or two and, and we all have that same thought of, oh man, if I was to win the lotto, first thing I'd, I'd do is I'd buy, you know, Living Hope, a brand new building. And then I would do this and I would, you know, all this charitable stuff. And, but the fact, like, if you want to know if that's actually true, if that's actually what you would do, 
if you were to come into some sort of windfall of money, just look at the way you're living your life now because all money does is amplify your heart for what it already is, right? Now, the good news is that we serve a, a gracious and loving God who is in the business of transforming hearts. He's in the business of transforming hearts. And so you don't have to be locked into whoever you are right now. God wants to grow you into something much more amazing, much more beautiful, even in the area of financial wisdom. And so what I want to do this morning is just kind of take a look at how we can cultivate financial health. Now, there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of advice out there, and I don't have time to cover it all. I'm just going to hit four or five points this morning, uh, just some things that I think the Bible speaks into in some pretty loud ways, and, uh, and we'll, we'll deal with that. So the first thing is this, in terms of cultivating financial health, uh, learn this principle, that your greatest capacity for wealth is in disciplined work. Your greatest capacity to grow wealth, grow personal finance, whatever, is in disciplined work. It's not in some get-rich-quick scheme. It's not in some, uh, you know, uh, pyramid company that your crazy brother-in-law is trying to talk you into. It's not any of that stuff. It's in disciplined work. It's, it's in working regularly, working hard, and being disciplined in the way that you spend or invest or whatever the money that you are earning through your income. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the greatest capacity for wealth in your life, discipline work. Proverbs uh, says this, Proverbs chapter 12. says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Those who chase fantasies have no sense. Anybody know some people in your life who are constantly chasing fi- financial fantasies? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, a handful of us, we know people like that. Constantly chasing financial fantasies. Uh, Proverbs 21 also says this, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And God instructs us, you know, you want to be wise with your money. To me, this is not so much, or it doesn't have to be anyway, not so much a sin issue as much as it is a wisdom issue. Like the wise, wise people, people who follow God and are sensible with their money and that sort of thing are people who, people who work hard. Try to be wise with their money. Try not to be consumed and controlled by their, by their money or their stuff or whatever. In fact, statistically, I don't know if you guys realize this, statistically speaking, um, Christians, like, like committed Christians, like faithful you know, church members who are constantly, who really, really hardcore into their faith, uh, tend to be financially better off than the average person in society. And that's not just in America. That You'll find that principle to be true all over the world. In fact, it was a, there was a massive, several years ago, massive study in China where China was actually beginning to consider kind of opening their doors to the idea of allowing Christianity more influence in the culture because they saw country after country after country where Christian values led to a more prosperous nation. And it's not that, you know, well, God loves us more or something, so he's blessing us more. It's just, it's just common sense. It's like it's biblical wisdom, financial wisdom principles that people who are following God and want to be wise and want to follow God, they tend to put these things into practice and it works out well for them. The second thing is this I want to, I want to talk about is that don't rob your own future. Don't rob your own future. When you don't save money, you are literally robbing your own future. You're just cheating yourself. You're just cheating yourself. I was having a conversation with, uh, she may have taken off, I was having a conversation with Liz uh, the other day, and, uh, and we were talking about uh, Phil's topic last week of diet stuff, you know, that sort of thing, and, and, uh, and I've been working on my health too. But it, we were, we talk, this topic came up about a cheat day. You know, anytime you're on a diet, you're like, well, how many cheat days can I have, right? 
And, uh, and she made this great statement that I thought was really great. She said, she said, you know, when you take a cheat day, you're only cheating on you. You're only cheating on you. It's such a great, a great thing to think about. But I think the same thing is true in terms of your savings. The Bible talks about savings. Proverbs 21 uh, says this, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Right? There's this biblical idea of you know, a rainy day is going to come. It will, because it's not a matter of if, it's when. It will eventually rain. It will eventually come, and you're going to need something stored up. You're going to need some savings in place, whether you want to call it an emergency fund, or maybe it's a fund for your kid's future. Maybe it's a fund for your retirement or whatever, but saving is a good, good thing. Now, I'm not talking about hoarding. I'm not talking about hoarding money, right? I've known people in churches, actually, over the years who are money hoarders. They just, they, uh, you know, collect, 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 build up their bank accounts and with no plans, no, no vision to share. That was the problem. You guys remember the, the parable that Jesus told of the, of the rich guy who had a bumper crop one year, and he had so much coming in his crop that he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't have barns big enough, so he, he says, you know, he thought to himself, he said, self? I love this way he puts it. He says, self, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns and uh, fill those barns, and then I'm just going to kick back and eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy the rest of my life. And, and God said to that man, today your soul will be required of you. It's like, what was this man's sin? Like, all that guy did was basically the American dream. Just save up money, retire early. Is that a wrong thing to do? That's not the wrong, that's not that, what that man's sin was. That man's sin was is that he accumulated, 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 and assumed it was all for himself. Never thought to ask God, God, why did you give me this windfall? Is there, do you have another plan for it? He just assumed it was all for him. And we don't want to be financial hoarders, but we do want to be wise savers. I've known, you know, growing up in the Bible Belt, I literally knew of churches who had multi-million dollars in the bank in their savings account as churches and were daily turning away people who needed help. That's a special kind of evil. That's a special kind of evil. We don't want to be financial hoarders, but we do want to be wise savers, wise savers. The other thing that Proverbs says there about that in in chapter 13 is, is that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And the whole point here is that you know, a good person is thinking not just of themselves, but they're thinking ahead in the, towards their legacy. They store up so that they can bless their kids and even their kids' kids. And I mean, I, I dream of that for myself. I, I hope one day I'm able to bless my own grandchildren with some sort of inheritance. I don't really care about my kids, but my, I'm going to be biblical. Just go children's children, just do that. And, but yeah, like I, 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 and some of you in this room can raise your hand and go, yeah, because of because of the life that my parents lived or the wisdom of my grandparents, I have been blessed uh, through them, through an inheritance or something like that. And, and the Bible calls out that person as good. Conversely, he calls out the other person as a sinner. And the idea is that the person who doesn't do it that way, well, their wealth will just go up to those who are wise, right? Who, who do do things wisely. This is such a great person. So we are to be not financial hoarders, but definitely wise financial savers. Don't rob from your own future. The other thing I want to talk about here is that debt is dehumanizing. A lot of uh, Christian financial gurus will tell you that uh, debt, all debt is sin. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I don't believe that all debt is sin. I believe that the Bible does very much teach us about the, uh, the foolishness of debt 
and that we have to be very careful with debt. But it doesn't absolutely forbid debt in, in Scripture. It's not that debt is a sin. It's what debt, can't, debt out of control can do to us. It's dehumanizing. It's absolutely dehumanizing. Some of you uh, live your life. We talk about people living paycheck to paycheck. You're living that paycheck to paycheck, never getting ahead, and it's almost always because of debt. Look at what Proverbs 22 says again. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower, borrower is what? Slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. Some of us are living lives. You're living free. You live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, and you're working a job. Maybe it's even your dream job, but you're living paycheck to paycheck, and you feel enslaved. You feel in bondage. You feel like you're not truly free because at the end of the day, all you're doing is working for the bank. You're just working for the bank. You're working for the, your lenders. You're, working, you're not able to do the things that you dream about and do the things that sometimes I know. I know how Christians think and how they work, and I know that the vast majority of us in this room have felt God calling, at one point or another in your life, felt God calling you to a certain purpose, a certain calling, a certain mission in your life, and have told yourself, I cannot do that because I don't have the money. And part of that is because you're not living with margin in your life. You're living tapped out, paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes it's just because that's the way life breaks. And sometimes, if you're brave enough to you know, join me in admitting this, sometimes it's because I was foolish with money, because I made some foolish choices. And the Bible tells us that debt is, can be definitely dehumanizing. Proverbs 22 also says, Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Here, what, he was, what he's talking about is don't be the type of person who is co-signing on debts for others. Um, if you lack, what does he say, if you, if you uh, lack the means to pay. So the principle there is if you co-sign for somebody else, then your future now is in that person's hands. If they fail or, or, or default on a loan or whatever, now you're on the hook for that. And you might have your own, you're just trying to do something nice, you'll have your own bed snatched out from underneath you. And I know some of you have probably helped out kids or helped out uh, friends or whatever with loans. Here's my personal principle on loans. I love, if I'm able to help someone financially, I love doing that. I love it. I've told my kids over and over as they've grown up and they're adults now, some of them, and I've told them, don't ever be afraid to ask us for help. If I can't help, I will tell you no, but it's never personal. It's just because I can't at that time. But if I can, I'd love to, right? And so my personal view on loans with anybody in my life is that if I can't in my mind think of that as a gift, then I'm not giving that loan. In other words, if I believe I'm giving you money that I absolutely need to get back, I don't need that coming between me and you. I don't want that coming between me and my family. I don't want that coming, you know, that kind of resentment. If something weird happens, I don't want that coming between me and friends or me and brothers and sisters in Christ. If I can't view that as a gift and then just like praise God and think of it as a bonus, if it does come back, then I'm not giving that loan. But if I can, I'd love to do it. I'd love to. So look at this next principle. That charity is the heartbeat of the disciple. Charity is the heartbeat of the disciple. The Greek word uh, for charity is this word philanthropia. Everybody say philanthropia. Philanthropia, that's where we get our, our English word uh, philanthropy from, right? 
And charity is the heartbeat of the gospel. It's the heartbeat of disciples of Christ. It is, in fact, the other thing about the biblical languages is that oftentimes the word charity is synonymous with the word love. That, in fact, some of your older English versions, some of the early editions of, say, your King James Version and stuff, oftentimes would replace the word love with the word charity. So that uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and some of those older editions would actually talk about charity is kind and charity never fails and that sort of thing. Why? Because the biblical idea around love, which we've talked about before, is love is not an, uh, um, an emotion in the Bible. Love is an action. Love is, is, is emotion put into action. If I, I love you and I show you that I love you by the way I show kindness toward you, by the way that I forgive you, by the way that I sacrifice for you or even help you out in a time of need, that's what love does. And charity is at the heart of the disciple of Christ. You cannot read scripture and especially reading through the gospels, reading through Jesus's words, you cannot, and I don't know how, I don't know how the modern church has gotten so far away from this principle because we, we, we've bought in this kind of self-help religion, this very individual religion, not, not community-based, but just God's God and you and your personal relationship with Christ and all that kind of stuff. We've bought into that brand of religion that is, I'm telling you, you have to try hard to come to those kind of conclusions because when you read the words of Christ, he hardly ever, I hardly ever, ever opens his mouth without talking about how we are to care for the poor. I mean, it's on every page of the Gospels. Every time, you, if you've got one of those red-letter Bibles, every time the words are read, somewhere in there, there's going to be some sort of instruction about helping those in need, helping the poor, being a giving person, loving your, your enemies by the way that you even give to your enemies, all that kind of stuff. It is primary. It is at the front and center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the life that he called us to live. Look what he says in Luke chapter 6. He says, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love that image of of uh, pressed down and shaken together. I, I love uh, going to the movies, and I love getting a big bucket of popcorn, and that bucket is all for me. It's all for me. Except lately, uh, not so much. I'm, I'm low carbon, so I can't, I can't do the popcorn anymore. But, but I, I love that, and what I, there's nothing that drives me more nuts than going up to the concession stand and dropping down you know, the $100 that they charge for a bucket of popcorn uh, and and them handing you a bucket that has an inch of air across the top of it. You guys know what I'm talking about? You could be kidding me. I just gave you $100 for a, the cheapest food imaginable, and you're not going to fill that. But I love it when they when they take it. And I, by the way, I, I'm not I'm not ashamed to ask them to finish finish the job and fill that thing up. But but anyway, so like, but I love it when when they when they take it and they fill up that bucket and they shake it. They shake it, let it all get settled down, and they pour more on it, and they mound it on top. I'm like, yes, that's worth the $100 right there, right? <laughs> that's how you do popcorn at a movie. And that's why I love that Jesus gives us that image of, of that when we give, that's the way God rewards us back. He doesn't just give you back what you gave, but what he does is he, 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 he shakes it down, and he mounds it up to where it's spilling over into your lap. We serve a good God who who uh, takes care of those who take care of others. Who takes care of those who takes care 
of others. Look also at, at Luke chapter 6. He says, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Give it to everyone who asks you. And that's a hard principle for us to live out because we're cynical. We've, we've grown cynical. And I get it. I get that, that spirit of cynicism. I, I, know, I know that there, the world is full of people trying to scam good people. I know, that's to, I know that to be true. But yet Jesus still tells us, he lived in the same kind of world, by the way. He still tells us, give to everyone who asks you. One of my favorite little glimpses into the life of Jesus is the story where these uh, 10 guys with leprosy came to Jesus and they, they wanted to be healed of their disease. And leprosy is just this horrible disease. I mean, you lose fingers and ears and, and, and skin disease is horrible. It's, it's an awful, awful disease to die from and to suffer from. And the, these 10 guys who came to him with leprosy, he healed them all, healed all 10 of them. Man, they were so happy they just ran off. After they all ran off, then one of those guys comes back and he thanks Jesus and he praises it. And the thing I love so much about that story is that even only one of the ten came back. Jesus doesn't take the healing away from the other nine. He doesn't take the healing away from the other nine. He healed them because he could. He healed them because he could. Sometimes... We need to loosen up on our desire to examine everyone who comes to us for help. and Just help if we're able to help. Just do that. and Trust the outcome to God. Jesus also says this in Luke chapter 12. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Basically, he's, well, you know what he's speaking to here? He's speaking to the fear that is in all of us when it comes to being generous. He's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Why? Because I help my children who help my other children. I supply for, I provide for my children who will go and help my other children. Like, I've given you the kingdom. And you might be emptying your purse, you might be emptying your wallet to help somebody in need right now, but I've got the means to fill it back up again and to invest it into an eternity that you can't even imagine. Charity is at the heart of the disciple, the heartbeat of the disciple. The last uh, principle I want to share with you this morning is this, that the very best investment is in someone else's eternity. The very best investment you can make is in someone else's eternity. Jesus says this, very similar to the last passage I read. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He's like, he's like, you guys want to build your own little personal kingdoms. He's like, I'm telling, he's like, I'm telling you, you're working on the wrong kingdom. Because there's an investment that you can make that has an eternal reward. That has that that pays back eternally. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in someone else's eternity. 
See, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not just called to build up our own kingdoms and accumulate and gather and, and hoard and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. We're called to take what God has blessed us with and live for the kingdom through our resources. Live for the kingdom, build up the kingdom, draw more people into the kingdom through our resources. One of the best things you can do is invest in another person. Maybe it's investing some time. Maybe it's investing some knowledge that you have, whatever it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's you know, literally investing some cash, whatever that case may be. Maybe it's investing in a church where as a community together, we can do what Phil was talking about earlier and make a bigger difference out in the community than we could individually, right? But whatever the case may be, like the best investment you can make is investments into God's kingdom that have eternal, eternal return. Do that. Now, each week, as we've been working through this series, we've tried to kind of end with, uh, you know, a couple of maybe uh, habits that you could change, habits that you could adopt uh, in the coming year to kind of get yourself more healthy in this area of life. And so we're going to do the same thing today, and I want you to choose a new habit. So the first habit that maybe you want to choose is this. Find a financial mentor. Find a financial mentor. The truth of the matter is that a lot of us in this room didn't have parents or grandparents or uncles or people in our life, uh, mentors in our life that showed us how to do finances well. We just didn't. We, maybe maybe your, your family was horrible with finances. Maybe they just never had uh, money around. Maybe they were uh, just very foolish with finances, whatever the case may be. Find someone who can show you the things that your uh, family or the mentors in your life before never were able to show you. Find a financial mentor. I do this in my life all the time. I'm constantly looking for mentors, people who are a little further down the road than I am in different areas of my life so that they can share the things they've learned and the mistakes that they made so I don't have to go make the same mistakes, right? I love that. I do it in my pastoral life all the time. When we were uh, in, in, kind of in the market for a building back when we were still over at the Tremont School, and uh, looking at getting into our own place and making that transition. And I wanted to know, like, what are the hurdles I, that I'm unaware of that I might need to be on the lookout for? And, and I called uh, Dave Patterson over at the Father's House, uh, Pastor Dave. And uh, he graciously met me at Pete's for a cup of coffee. And we sat and talked. And I just picked his brain because they had made those transitions to a couple of different buildings in their history. And, and I just picked his brain. What happened at this stage? And what, what did you do this? And how did you get the money from here to there? You know, all that kind of stuff. And I was just picking his brain. And he was so gracious just to sit down and share his wisdom with me. And I've had countless other guys in my life over the years that have done the same thing. And in financial ways, too. In financial ways or real estate things or whatever, you know, that I was ignorant about in my life. I've had people gather around me and go, this is what works. And you may not know this. I didn't know it to begin with. But this is how this, this, the world works in this area. Get yourself a financial mentor, somebody who's a little bit further down the road than you are, who actually is making good choices, not somebody who has better stuff. There's a difference. 70 to 80% of this nation is still living paycheck to paycheck, which means even all your friends that seem to have better stuff than you are probably broke. Find somebody that you know knows what they're talking about, and that can help you get to where it is you're wanting to go. Find a financial mentor. Second thing you might want to do is this. Start a plan to reduce your debt. Start a plan to reduce your debt. There's a lot of different debt reduction plans out there, uh, some of them with Christian roots. Dave Ramsey talks about his snowball plan. Look that up if you don't know what that is. Uh, but, but start on a plan to get out from underneath the bondage that debt places on your life. Learn to live in the full freedom 
that Christ has called you to. And I'm telling you, an area of freedom that he wants to unlock in your life is to get out from underneath that debt. What if, what if you never even had, like what if God could take away your, your, your one excuse of why you shouldn't do the things he's calling you to do? What if he could take away that one excuse of, well, I don't have the money. Well, now you're out of debt. Now you do. What's your excuse now, right? Like learn to have the freedom to do the things that God is calling you to do or the things that you're dreaming about doing, the dreams that he's given you. Third thing, last thing is this. Some people have said you need to give until it hurts. And I want to tell you, don't give until it hurts. Give until there's joy. Don't give until it hurts. Give until there's joy. Because this is what I've learned is that when I have positioned myself to give in really, I mean, really, really sacrificial ways. See, when you give sacrificially, it pushes you past the point of pain to the point of joy. When you see, Phil was talking about this a second, when you see on the eyes of someone the difference you were able to make in their life, whether they know it was you or not, when you see the difference you were able to make in a community's life, in a person's life, in a family's life, man, I'm going to tell you, that brings tears of joy. And sometimes that's through stepping up and sacrificing financially for them. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the sacrifice of a possession that you have that they need. Sometimes it's the sacrifice of opening up your home to someone who needs a place to stay, opening up your family to someone who's an orphan, opening up in some way, but give of yourself. Give not till it hurts. Go, past, go beyond hurt and give until there's joy. That's where, that's, man, if you're, just, if you're stopping at hurt, don't stop at hurt. Get, do crazy giving. Get, move beyond hurt. Move beyond hurt and give till there's joy. It'll break you down. It's just, it's just awesome. Awesome. I love the handful of times in my life when I've been able to step up and give until there's joy. I like to really give in sac- ways that were sacrificing for me, but I knew was worth the sacrifice. You guys know the same thing. You've got people in your life right now that you constantly give to because you believe they're worth the sacrifice, right? Some of you parents have have children that you're sacrificing things that you want, maybe even things that you need so that they can have the things that they need or the things that they're dreaming about. Why? Not because you're such a great person necessarily. You do it, why? Because they're worth that sacrifice. I'm telling you, Jesus is worth the sacrifice. And when we do it, Again, quoting Phil from a little bit earlier, when we do it to the least of these, Jesus said, it's as if we've done it to him. We've done it for him. You want to serve Christ? You want to worship him in really amazing, dangerous ways? And you give until the point of joy and see what happens in your life. Now, this, I hope you hear my heart in this message. I know sometimes a message on finances can be a little tricky in church, and especially in today's world. And I want to throw something out there. that I I really believe to be true. I'm generalizing. It's not not necessarily true of everybody. In fact, probably for all of you, this is not true. But but just entertain the idea for a second, okay? So I think if you're the type of person that gets really uptight and and, uh, offended when a church starts talking about money, I think that chances are, chances are, maybe not you, but chances are, it's because... You got your fist wrapped around your stuff and your money a little too tightly. Just a little too tightly. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, one of the ways that we follow him, one of the ways that we really embrace the spirit that Jesus is trying to place in us is that we unclench those fists and we open them up. We hold all of our stuff, all of our income, 
everything with an open hand and we acknowledge that God is God and we are not and we acknowledge that he owns it all and he gives it all and he can take it all away and we just humbly submit to him as his followers and go, thank you so much for everything you've blessed me with. But I know this is all yours. And if you need any of it back for whatever purpose, feel free to take it. If you need any of it back for someone else, for one of your other children, then it's yours. Because I hold it all with an open hand. It's all yours. This is not a message about we need to build up the kingdom of living hope. It's not a message of the church needs more of your money. That's not what this is about. This is about us as followers of Jesus Christ actually, actually being transformed by the love and the charity of Jesus Christ that was poured out to us to the point that we then, out of the overflow of the love and the charity that has been given to us by Jesus Christ, we go out into this world and we transform the world in like, in like ways. We do that. Because to say you love someone, to say you're concerned, to say you care is one thing. But when you put into action and it turns into self-sacrifice, that's the way the world actually gets changed. Go, go read your church history. Go look at those first few hundred years of, of the church. There's a reason we talk about how that early church turned the world upside down. You know how crazy it is? You know how absolutely insane it is that this little movement that started with about 100 people, this little thing called church that just started with a handful of people in a room, honestly, about this many people. That was the beginning of every, all the Christians that existed in the world was about this many people right here. And that little movement in just a handful of years toppled the greatest empire the world had ever seen, the Roman Empire. You know how insane that is. How does that happen? When people put love into action and it turns into self-sacrifice, that's when the world begins to change. And we're not just here trying to Build up Living Hope's bank account. That's not what this is about. We're trying to change the world. And that starts with you allowing God to change who you are, for you to submit your life to Jesus and go, I don't want to just say I'm one of your followers. I don't want to just be a person who goes to church. This is what's crazy about, this is, this is the, the sneaky thing that happens when you get involved in the Christian life. Some of you started attending church and you were really skeptical. So skeptical because you knew every Christian that you'd ever met was a hypocrite and they weren't really doing anything. They weren't really, you know, living the words that they spoke or whatever. They were just, you just hated that type of person. And then somebody, somebody snuck up on you and invited you to church and you felt weak one day and you finally came and you showed up here and you, what you experienced at church was something that you weren't expecting. It didn't feel religious it felt a little bit joyful. It felt a little bit good. It felt like the message was helpful. It felt like the worship was engaging. It, felt, it, it just felt right. It didn't feel hypocritical. It felt like these people cared and that they loved you. And then, and then, then here's, here's, where, here's where faith gets, faith gone awry gets a little sneaky. That, that person you wanted to be, not the hypocrite, but the person who was genuinely following Jesus. Like, look at who Jesus was. You really want to be a Christ follower? You can't follow Christ 
and not have your life transformed. Can I just tell you, nobody here, nobody here showed up to church and was like, I'm pretty much almost like Jesus anyway. (laughs) That doesn't happen. Jesus was pure love, pure charity, pure uh, pureness, right? And we're so not, we're so far removed from that. We're so skeptical and jaded and we're so hateful and we're so stingy and we're all, all those things. And I'm not telling you to have your life change and submit yourself to Jesus just so that we can pad the bank's account, bank accounts at Living Hope. Living Hope has had no money before. It may have no money again and we'll be just fine. This movement of Christ will go even if we don't have this building anymore. It will keep going. We'll meet in the park. We'll do whatever we have to do. We'll meet in somebody's home. That's not what this is about. This is about having the Holy Spirit change your life so you can be the kind of little Christ that he wants you to be in the world, going out and changing the world and transforming the world and actually making a difference in this world. Not through what you retweet, not through what you share or the memes that you create, but through actually going out and person to person, sacrificing and making a difference in this world. And when those one-on-one interactions, those self-sacrifice things happen enough times in a row, communities become transformed, kingdoms get toppled, and God's kingdom gets built up. Amen? That's what this is about. Actually commit your life. I want to be like Jesus. And that means I want to be more generous. God, I'm, I, know, I know my own heart. I know my own heart. And I know it needs to be a more generous heart. It needs to be more loving, like love in action, the ways you, way yours was for me. Transform my heart. Transform my heart. What if we stopped asking, like looking at situations we see in the world, and we stopped ha- asking, God, do you want me to help out here? And we just embrace that little phrase that we wear on t-shirts around here sometimes. How can I help? Like we just automatically assume God wants us to help. How can I help? Jump into that frame of mind. That's what this is all about. Amen? Let's do that. Set yourself up with better financial wisdom, better financial practices to experience the freedom in Christ that he meant for you to experience. Set yourself up to get out from underneath the debt to be wise with your money, save up for that rainy day that's going to happen to all of us, to not hoard it, but to share it, to live your life with simplicity and contentment so that there's margin in your financial life to share and to help. Do that. That's the life of a Christ follower. Amen? Let's do that. So a lot of times when we close out our services around here, we'll close out, we'll, we'll, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together or I'll speak a blessing from Scripture on you or something like that. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. And so I want you all to stand up as we close out this morning. And uh, there's an old song. It's about 350 years old. We, we call it the doxology. This is what I want us to do. I want us to sing that song together. If you're standing next to a friend or a family member, put your arm around them. Just experience some community right now. And let's sing this old hymn, 350-year-old song. It goes like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All right, some of you new people got the gist of it. Now let's do it one more time, all right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus, we love you so much, and we recognize that all of our blessings flow from you, that you are God, you alone are worthy of our praise, and so you alone will get it, God. We pray that as we submit ourselves to you daily as much as we're able, God, that you would uh, just send your Holy Spirit to transform us in ways that were powerful to transform ourselves. God, we are naturally selfish. God, we are naturally skeptical. Uh, Those of us who are a little older are naturally jaded. And God, I pray that you would change that. God, you have the ability to transform our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, as your word says. And so, God, we submit our hearts to you and ask you to transform us so that we begin to resemble you. Give us a heart of love, love in action. Give us a heart of charity towards everyone around us. Give us a heart for your kingdom and a heart for your church. And may that be played out not just in our sentiments, but in the way that we actually live our lives, by the way that we actually spend our money. God, help us to put you first in everything. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Everybody enjoy the game. Have a good week. Good afternoon.